I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, this is How Story Works, and today we're going to talk about the importance of narrative criticism for both writers and non-writers. When talking about narrative criticism, the default assumption is that it's usually only of interest to writers, and that's not really true. While I do offer up lessons for writers while talking about the narratives I critique, I've also found that a huge portion of my audience are people who are just interested in stories and how they work without any intent to write stories of their own. Some of these people are critics, but many of them are just people who find it interesting and who want to be able to apply this knowledge to the stories that they hold dear. One thing I always warn people about is that once they start studying with me, the way they interact with story will never be the same. Knowledge of the inner workings of story craft can make some stories a little less enjoyable, as you see clearly where some of the craft went off the rails, leaving the magic to fend for itself often poorly. But I also say that while a few stories might be less enjoyable, once you have this knowledge, you have a whole new playground in which to interact with narrative, and I think that makes up for the loss. Now that you've studied the basics of how story works, it's time to get into that work of critiquing narrative and learning how to do it. For writers, learning to critique narrative strengthens your ability to understand the concepts we've been studying and apply these concepts to your own work. You learn from what does and doesn't work and can apply those skills or avoid those danger zones. That is a clear value. For non-writers, understanding why a character or storyline works or doesn't work for you gives you greater insight into the story and allows you to tease out what could have been done better and also appreciate what was done really well. But there's more to thinking critically about stories than assessing structure and conflict. Critiquing stories gives us a way to understand their power and also allows us to reject faulty premises that are present in our culture and find their way into our storytelling. As I've said, story is powerful. We use stories to convey cultural ideas and ideals, some of which can be destructive. For instance, let's talk a bit about the Bechdel test. This is a quick reference point, first introduced by American cartoonist Alison Bechdel, in which you look at a work of fiction and see if two named female characters ever have a conversation that is not about a man. The fact that so many works of fiction fail the Bechdel test shows us that our storytelling is inherently patriarchal in nature. By the way, passing the Bechdel test does not mean that you've just encountered a feminist masterpiece. The Bechdel test is a distressingly low bar for feminism, and that's part of its diagnostic value. It sets out the lowest possible bar for a story to crawl over, and the fact that so few clear that bar tells us something very important about our culture and about ourselves. So our stories for centuries have been predominantly written by white, straight, cisgendered, able men. As such, these stories tend to show this type of man as complicated and layered, while often everyone else is a one-dimensional backup singer. Their only purpose is to make the hero look good. Years and years and years of seeing this in our stories sends the subliminal message that no one else matters as much as the members of this particular group. When we fail to think critically about these stories, that message becomes quite quietly internalized among the very people it dismisses, causing them to think of themselves as inherently lesser. And just some food for thought. White, straight, cisgendered, able men are not a majority. This means that most of the world is being given a message through our stories that they don't matter. By having a critical outlook on the stories you are presented with, you increase your ability to reject the elements of those stories that are destructive while still allowing yourself to enjoy the rest of the story. Yes. I said it. You are allowed to enjoy the rest of that story. 
No, you don't have to decide that the novelist or screenwriter or movie producers are bad people and therefore you can never enjoy anything about that work or anything they do ever again. It's not required. Recognizing and rejecting the destructive elements is the important part. That's how you minimize their power. There is a concept called terroir, which comes from wine growers who notice that elements in the soil, lavender, vanilla, black currant, will become part of the flavor of the grapes that grow in that soil and will later present in the wine made from those grapes. So if racism or sexism are part of the culture in which a story was seeded, they're going to show up in that story. It doesn't mean that the creators of the stories are bad. It just means that they weren't thinking critically about those elements. Which brings us back to writers. It's important for all of us who write to think critically about those elements in our society. And yes, it's important to put them into the writing. Pretending they don't exist is faulty. You can have all sorts of bad things in your stories. Just be sure you recognize them as bad things and deal with them as such, instead of quietly co-signing on them and passing them on to unsuspecting readers who will then internalize those messages. So as we start to go through our critical response to movies we've looked at for structure, Tangled, A Few Good Men, His Girl Friday, Easy A, and Dodgeball, we're going to be looking at narrative theory and beyond, going into the messages in the text and taking a good, hard look at them. But even when we find something faulty, that doesn't mean there won't also be good things at play in those stories. We are not here for righteous indignation. We are here for greater understanding and a rejection of destructive messages without condemnation of the entire work. That's where the good stuff lives, in the embracing of complexity. And speaking of embracing the complexity, that's where we're going next time. The first movie in our five-movie advanced criticism seminar is on deck, Disney's 2010 movie Tangled. I've already discussed the structure of this movie, but we're going to move deeper as we get into advanced criticism, marrying narrative theory critique with overall story meaning critique, and it's going to be fun. So watch the movie if you haven't already, or re-watch it if it's faded in your memory. Jot down what you see, and I'll show you what I see, and we'll go from there. All right, our question today comes from at Suzaboos on Twitter. She says, Is it fair criticism to say that the way a writer approaches their craft can be so distinctive that to read one book is just like reading another? Is that where magic should take over? This is an interesting question at Suzaboos, and one I had to take a while to think about before I was sure how to answer. I think that every author has a certain style, a certain creative thumbprint that will be distinct to them. This thumbprint is a result of their magic, their individual style, and it's what makes them different from everyone else. It sounds to me, though, like the question you're asking, and correct me if I misunderstood, is more about a writer who has a certain template, let's say, to their story structure, and then does the same thing over and over. They find something that works, and they just keep doing that thing. The relationship of magic to the story structure template isn't relational, meaning the amount of magic that is present in the story has very little to do with the template. A writer with loads of personal magic can rely on a simplified template, a stage that was built to code once and they just keep reusing, without it impacting their personal magic at all. A lot of readers love this kind of writer because they can produce wonderful stories that follow a similar roadmap, but have characters and moments that are still beautiful and transcendent. On the other hand, an author might just pick a working template and write to it without incorporating brilliant dialogue and characters. Those stories might read as kind of bland and become boring after a while. That is a case in which the writer's magic is out of touch with the work, and that can happen for a lot of reasons. The writer may not have an abundance of that kind of magic. They may have started writing for reasons other than their love of the work, or they may be too afraid of their magic 
Remember, setting our magic loose upon the world comes with a great deal of vulnerability. But in the end, to answer your question, I don't think there's a relationship between templated craft and magic. Using a templated story structure doesn't block magic out or invite it in. That is up to the author. I hope that helps, and I hope I answered your question correctly. If I misunderstood, get in touch, and I'll give it another shot. All right, that's it for today. If you have questions about how story works, call 302-643-CHIP. That's 302-643-2447 and leave a message. Or you can email me at Lonnie at Chipperish.com or contact me on Twitter at Lonnie Diane Rich or at Chipperish with the hashtag HowStoryWorks. This episode of How Story Works was brought to you by Chipperish Media producer Mariah. Mariah supports Chipperish Media at the power producer level and as a reward gets to produce whatever show she wants. Thank you, Mariah, and thank you to everyone who supports Chipperish Media and makes all of this possible. Visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out how you, too, can become a How Story Works producer. All right, I'll see you next time. Hey.